And now for my third point of my message. If you have your Bibles, I really would love for you to turn to two passages of Scripture with me this morning. First of all, in the Old Testament, I want you to turn there and just hold that. We have a little journey we've got to go on before we can get to this one. Let us send Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14. So open the, to that passage. And once you have found Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14, put your finger there or something, your bulletin, and then turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to be looking in just a moment at verse 13. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. For those who were not here last Sunday, we kind of began a new focus, a new study, uh, dealing with how important it is for us as individual believers, but also as the body of Christ to keep our spiritual immune system strong and healthy. In the same manner, that's absolutely vital that in the physical way, we got to keep our physical immune system strong and healthy if uh, we're going to do everything we can to protect ourselves from the viruses and diseases that attack our body. But we need to protect ourselves from Satan and the kingdom of darkness and his viruses and diseases that come in the form of lies and deceptions and the different ways in which he, he attacks us in our marriages, attacks us in our uh, homes in our and even in the body of Christ. And so we need strong spiritual immune systems for ourselves, our families, and for our church family here at Washington Baptist Church. Now the strategy that Satan uses and his kingdom of darkness in terms of attacking us happens to be in three areas. Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, when he says there are three things. There is faith, there is hope, and there is love. Satan knows that if he can undermine our faith in the Lord, and he can undermine our hope in the Lord, and he can undermine our love in the Lord, then he will find places to slither into our hearts and our minds and our lives and our marriages and our homes, his lies and his deceptions, and he can cause us to be spiritually sick. And in causing us to be spiritually sick, then he can hinder our walk with the Lord. He can hinder our worship of the Lord. He can hinder all the work that God has for us to do, our work in the Lord, and of course, our witness for the Lord. And so he focuses ultimately in these three areas as he seeks to attack us. So it is paramount that we, as followers of Christ and as the body of Christ, that we are intentional on keeping ourselves spiritually strong, our immune system strong, and, and so we began looking last week, we looked first of all at faith, our faith in the Lord. We have a responsibility uh, as followers of Christ to encourage one another in the faith so that we can all be strong. There is no one that has arrived. Do I have a witness on that? Every single one of us are in different places in our spiritual growth. 
Some maybe are here today, I don't know, the Lord knows and you know, haven't, you don't even have a relationship with the Lord yet. But for those of us who do, having received Christ, we're all at different levels. And so we have a personal calling by God on us, each and every one of us, to encourage and strengthen one another in the faith. How do we do that? Let me just mention these three very quickly. First of all, in how we speak to one another. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, to put away all uh, filthy speech. He's not talking about cursing there because he goes on unwholesome speech is the word he uses. He goes on to say, but words that edify, words that encourage, words that uh, put fuel on the fire, that inspire each and every one of us so that we can minister the grace of God to each other. And so just our conversation, this way we speak to one another, it may be at lunch, it may be at home, maybe we gather together, but how we speak to one another, then how we support one another. That's what made Wednesday night such a blessing to me. Not just the fact that the worship and our youth and the word was great, and we had a great number of people come. But what blessed me as a pastor, when I looked around and I saw all the people of Washington who was able to come and support what we were doing in the name of Christ and supporting our young people. So that was a blessing. That's how we encourage, how we encourage our youth. Then, of course, how we stand in the gap and pray for one another. Well, today, I want to look at that second word that is called hope. Three things, faith, hope, and love. Today, hope. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 13. As Paul is writing to the Christians there in Rome, and he says this to them. He writes this. He says, now may the God of hope, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that in that one verse, Paul connects the joy of the Lord. He connects the peace of God. And, you know, in scriptures, it's described as the uh, undescribable joy of the Lord and the peace that passes all understanding. He connects those two things, our experience of those two things, with hope, the hope of God. God is hope. He wants to abound in hope so that we can abound in experiencing the joy of the Lord and that peace that passes all understanding in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. What is hope? Well, there's a lot of people, according who's talking and how uh, they're using that word, I guess. They describe it in many, many different ways. But here's the way that I describe hope. Would y'all put that up on the screen for me, please? That, that joyful expectation in the Lord. A joyful expectation in the Lord. Now, here's the key to hope. Hope always focuses on the future. Hope doesn't focus on the past. Hope doesn't focus even on the present circumstance. Hope 
It's always looking to the future. Now, it doesn't mean that hope says stick your head in the sand and, and in terms of what has happened in the past or what is going on in the present. No, but it's kind of like in your car. Let me put it this way. It's kind of like in your car. You have in your car a thing called a rear view mirror. Do I have a witness on that? Now, some of you, you know, if you had your car long enough, it may have fallen off. I, I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about. Now, that review mirror is there, and you have two side mirrors. They are to be used only by glancing at them. It, they're not there for you to drive down the road looking in the review mirror. It's only to glance at so you know what's in the past. Look at the side mirror so you kind of know what's coming up from behind on your side, but they're only to be glanced at. They have created cars, so they got a bigger sheet of glass. It is called the windshield, 50 times larger than the rearview mirror, and they want you looking through the windshield to where you're going, not where you've been, but where you're going. That's hope. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a joyful expectation. It's expecting that your future is going to be greater than your present or even your past. There is that joyful expectation. Why? Because God has promised it. Thus saith the Lord. Now that leads us then to that passage in Jeremiah that I want us to look at. So if you'll turn there with me. And in Jeremiah 29, we're talking about keeping this incredible hope in the Lord alive in our hearts and in our lives. That means experiencing that joyful expectation, the joy of the Lord, the peace that passes all understanding. And I want you to notice as we look at these verses together, three things because it begins in verse 11, a verse that you've heard. Maybe you didn't know this was the reference to it, but I know you've heard it a lot. Jeremiah 29, 11, where we have the promise of, of hope, the promise of hope. He says this, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Remember this, you've heard this before. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, but to give you a future. Now, this is where most people stop because we want you to know God's got a plan for your life. And we share that with us because he does. But we stop there. Here's what I want you to look at today in that verse primarily. He says to give you a future and a hope, a joyful explanation, uh, expectation in his name that your future is going to be greater and better than your present and your past. No matter how dark it seems to you. And here's what I want you to say. This verse is given to us in a very dark chapter of the life of Israel. They're in Babylonian captivity. They're there because they had rebelled against God. They were there because they didn't have ears to hear God's warning to them and they began to worship idols and they had rebelled against God and so now they're in incredible uh, uh, position there and Babylon is captured. Thousands are killed. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been torn down. Spiritually they're in darkness. They are living a very dark life. And God says, oh, by the way, I want you to remember I've got a plan for your life. 
I'm here to give you a future and I hope a joyful expectation is coming for me. August the 14th, 2003. There was a power grid failure in Canada. Some of you may remember this. And it worked its way all the way down to New York and there was an incredible blackout in New York. No power. And there were thousands of people, of course, all over, but I want you to think in terms of those who were at LaGuardia or one of the other airports, and all of a sudden, the airport is literally shut down completely. They have no power. They have no lights. They have no computers. Nothing is moving. No flight is going out. No flight is coming in. They're done. It's dead right there in all of that darkness. And people are panicking. And then where are we going to go? Where are we going to stay? Well, there's a Crown Plaza near LaGuardia there. And so a lot of people started moving. Of course, when they went into that hotel, it was dark, lit up with candles. They had to sign things. They had no computers. They had to use flash like just to go up the stairs, no elevators, of course, just to get to their room that was dark with no air conditioning. Then they noticed that across the street at the Marriott, the lights were on. And people were eating supper and enjoying life. Well, inquisitive minds had to find the answer. So someone approached the manager of the Marriott, the only place where there was light in the midst of all of this darkness, and they said, well, what's going on here? How can this be? He says, it's simple. When we built this, when we built this uh, hotel, we built a gas-powered uh, uh, um, generator so that we have power on the inside that can't be controlled on anything that is on the outside. That's the hope that God gives us. You see, you might be in darkness right now. I don't know. Personally, maybe you brought it on. Maybe somebody else brought it on. You may be in darkness in your marriage. Maybe issues in the family. But no matter what the darkness is on the outside, if you've got the hope of God, you've got the light power on the inside, a joyful expectation that the future, because thus saith Lord, is greater and better. Paul, um, Peter tells us in 2 Peter, don't need to turn there, I'm just going to share it with you so we can move on here. When he talks about in verse 4, he says this, for, for by these uh, he has granted to us, watch this, his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So we have the incredible promises of God that is that light, that is the source of our hope, no matter how dark it is on the outside. But let me share this with you. God didn't stop there. He went through. His word to them and his word to us continues because not only is there the promise of hope, in verses 12 and 13, there is the pursuit of hope. And we need to have ears to hear. Listen to what he says. He goes and says, then, then you will call upon me 
and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search with me, search for me with all of your hearts. He said, you're going to have to take an initiative. I know you want my promise. I know you want to embrace the hope, that joyful expectation. But this is an initiative you've got to take. You've got to pursue me. You've got to come and pray to me. You've got to come and search for me. And not just search for me, but search for me with all your heart. In other words, just put the whole thing into context. If you want to know the plan, you've got to seek the planner. Do I have a witness on that? If you want to experience the fulfillment of the promise, then you're going to have to seek the one who has made that promise, and that is the Lord God. Our relationship with him and our fellowship with him is key to everything God is doing in and through our lives. He says, I'm not looking for casual Christianity. Here's our problem. I believe in our churches. We want to be part-time Christians as long as God is still a full-time God. All right? You know, we want to placate to him on Sunday and maybe a few other things, but in reality, where we're living out our lives every single day, we're living a part-time Christianity, expecting God to be a full-time God. And God said, I got a word for you. It doesn't work that way. You want to know the plan? You got to seek me, the planner. You want to experience this incredible hope, this joy, this peace, this indescribable joy, the peace. You've got to seek me. I'm the source of that joy. I'm the source of that peace. I'm the source of that expectation. I am the God of hope. And you've got to seek me. Instead of being a part-time Christian, Expecting God to be a full-time God. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this on a larger note. Let's say at a national level, but bring it back down to us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I want to read verses 3 through 6. I'm going to read verse 3. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. Then I'm going to come back to verse 4. Watch this. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. says, for many days Israel was without. Listen to this. For many days Israel was without the true God. He wasn't active in their lives. They had basically rebelled against him at this time. And so there was no activity of the true God. And then without the teaching priest and without the lost, they didn't have the truth, they didn't have the word, they didn't have the source of the word, they didn't have the true God. They were living their lives absent of the Lord God most high. Verses five and six. It says, in those times there was no peace to him who went in, went out, and to him who came in. In other words, they didn't have what we have today. They didn't have permits to carry. But when they went out, they went out with fear. And when they came back in, they were coming in with fear. Does it sound like familiar to us today? Chaos. Evil. Hatred. 
for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. Watch this. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. God was their problem. And when God is your problem, God's the only source of solution. I have a witness for that. We call this the active wrath of God in the Old Testament. Sometimes people kind of struggle with the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of the wrath of God because in the Old Testament we have what is called that active wrath of God. We see it here. He was the one disturbing. They didn't have anything to do with him. They didn't want him in their life. And so to get their attention, he was stirring up their nest. There are times he opened up the earth and people fell in. He brought all the plagues directly against Egypt to set his people free. We call that the active wrath of God. And we kind of struggle with that. But then Jesus came. You know, Christ was dealing with the wrath of God on the cross. His wrath against sin, his wrath against people rebelling against him. And Jesus dealt with that on the cross when he shed his blood. And through his death and his burial and his resurrection, now ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, in the New Testament, what we see is what we call the passive wrath of God. You say, well, what does that look like? Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 and following, it says three times, and God gave them over, and God gave them over, and God gave them over to their darkness and to their pravity. In other words, it says, you don't want me, then you experience life as it is without me. That's what you see in America. It's all the chaos. Because people are not pursuing seriously God with all their heart. And, and we're looking up towards the White House as though somehow or another there's the answer. The answer's never in the White House. It's always going to be in the church house. Do I have a witness on that? Let me tell you, God never skips the church house to deal with the issues of the White House because if he can get the church house where it's supposed to be, that is people searching and pursuing God with all their heart, everything else will be taken care of in the White House. Let me give you an example. Scriptural example. Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody? Sin, immorality, depravity. Scripture also talks about the fact that people were incredibly oppressed. All those things are true, but that's not why he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't find enough righteous people. Remember Abraham trying to deal with God? said, God, i got a nephew there with his family. His name is Lot. If I can find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, sure will. Well, okay, if 50, would you do it for 40? If I can find 40 righteous people, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Sure will. Well, while we're talking about it, Lord, how about 30? Yep. How about 20? Oh, sure. How about if I can find 10 righteous people? 
would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? He said, absolutely. And then he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? They went there. When nobody's seriously pursuing with all their heart the Lord God. David may mention a moment ago about our praying for revival and, and preparing for rain. We started in January. And I think all of you really, I think you, you get it. We're talking about praying for revival. We want the extraordinary work of the hand of God. Do I have a witness on that? I mean, we really don't want to just talk about it. We want to experience it here. I think you get that. The part that I find that y'all are struggling with, or not all of you, but some of you, because you're asking me about it, what does it mean to prepare for rain? Well, the rain is outpouring as uh, Second Calling was reminding us in song this morning is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon us. Well, what is that preparation? It's the answer to this question. I'm going to ask. I don't know the answer. But I think we've got to ask the question. How many of us really want it? How many of us are truly pursuing the planner and the one who makes the promise with all our hearts? And how many of us are part-time Christians hoping that God is still a full-time God? Which he is, but I don't know the answer to that. I think it's a question we got to ask. Do I have a witness? And maybe what God is looking for are more who truly pursue Him before the rain is going to come. So there is the promise. I'm going to close with this. The promise of hope, the pursuit of hope. And because of time, I'm just going to close with this. And that's the praise of hope. Verse 14, Jeremiah 29, 14. God says, I will be found by you. Yeah, I tell you what, you look for God. You don't have, listen, he's just waiting. He, you will find me. You will find me. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God says, I will restore everything you thought you'd lost. Regardless of the darkness on the outside. Thus saith the Lord. Wow. Bow your heads and close your eyes in the spirit of prayer, will you?